0: I think this morning the Lord wants to teach us something. Uh, I feel him changing my message even as I'm up here right now. Uh, I just, I think we all right now have been singing and worshiping and praying that God would be fighting for us, and yet I find that there are some of us who feel like God is fighting against us. We want God to fight for us, but he's fighting against us, and we don't really know why, and I think the Lord wants to answer that today. Why is it that some of us seem to have God fighting for us and we seem to see victory and answered prayer and, and why are others, it seems like everything we do fails and we pray and nothing happens. Is, is there something, like what, what is it at the root that allows somebody to experience the victory of God and somebody to, to not experience the power of God? And I think there is. I think it really comes down to understanding who our God is. There, there are some of us, if we're being honest, Now we would never say this out loud in church because you know you're not supposed to. But there are some of us who would say, God, it just doesn't feel like you're fair. It just, it feels like you bless some and not others, that you answer some people's prayers and not others, God, that you, you, you make life easy for some and, and really hard for others, God. And I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, God, but I do. I feel this way. It just feels like you're not fair. And, and maybe you don't know why it matters, but I, here's what I want you to hear. If you get this one thing wrong in your mind and in your heart, it will destroy your entire faith system. You have to know one thing, if God is anything, he is fair and he is just. It says it verbatim, Romans two eleven: God shows no partiality. Do you know what no means? Zip, zilch, nada. No, no partiality whatsoever. He does not have favors no matter what it looks like, no matter how you feel. You have to know this is the character of God. And you go, okay, why? Why does that matter? Let me tell you why it matters. If you believe God plays favorites, you you don't believe it up here. You just forgot to get down to here to believe it because sometimes it feels like God has some favorites and he blesses some and others. If you start to feel like God is playing favorites, then as soon as you have difficulty in your life, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to turn to the one person who can actually help you out. You're gonna go, well, I guess he's got favorites and I'm not one of them. And you're gonna turn away from the one person who can actually help you and fight for you. Understanding the character of God is the most important part of your faith system. Today, we're gonna look at another passage of scripture that teaches that. It's all over the Bible, but we're gonna see it in one that almost doesn't look like it when we first jump into it. It's Exodus 21. I want you to open your Bibles. Book of Exodus, chapter 21. It's gonna teach us the difference between who God fights for and who God fights against. Now, if you are joining us for the first time, watching online, we're going to the book of Exodus, slowly, meticulously, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I, want, I would love for you to go back and listen to last week's message if you didn't hear it, because it, it started a new season in the book of Exodus where we get into the rules and regulations, which sounds totally boring, but it's actually filled with incredible truth. Uh, I, I get a little frightened every single Monday when I go to study the passage more deeply. Like, what in the world are we going to deal with? Because last week, if you were here, I was dealing with when it says you buy a Hebrew slave and what do you do? Crazy passages of Scripture. Go back and listen to it because it sets up the framework for how these rules and regulations work. This week, though, we're going to get uh, move on into the, the theme, into what requires the death penalty, capital punishment on the highest level. We're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to learn a little bit more about who God fights for and who he fights against. Verse 12 of Exodus 21, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. It's really not a complicated thing in this first part right here I want to deal with. I'm just setting up the scene that God is fair. If he's anything, he's fair. He says, if you take someone's life, then you forfeit your own. That's the fair thing to do. I mean, if you, if you draw blood, you give blood. That, that's how it works. This was something God had said from the beginning. If you go to Genesis, you, you don't have to turn there. Just listen to what this verse says. Genesis 9, 6, it says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This is what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the Ten Commandments and it says, You shall not murder. Why? Because people are made in the image of God. And when we have the image, to, to take that image bear and destroy it is an affront against God. And so if you shed blood, your own blood will be required. Life for life. Basic principle of fairness. But God is so fair in this particular passage that he says, but I'm also looking at the intentions of your heart. That's why he says, if you were not lying in wait, in other words, if this wasn't premeditated or intentional, he says that person can flee. That doesn't tell you where, but later in the law you, you realize this to what's called a city of refuge. They can go flee and they won't die. Why? Because God is fair. He said, I'm not just trying to smite people all over the place. If you intentionally take life, your life will be forfeited. But if you, if you didn't do it on purpose, then you'll have consequences, but your life won't be forfeited because God is fair. He's so fair, in fact, that this principle applies in multiple ways. In fact, if you skip over to verse 28 to verse 32, of the same chapter, you see it played out in, in not just whether you do it with your own hands, but with something that you own if it hurts somebody, the same principle applies. So Exodus 21, verses 28 to 32, listen to the same principle of the fairness of God at play. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned. And its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Okay, so a number of things going on here, but basic, same principle. You're looking at the fairness of God. So God says, if there's a person who has an ox and it gets loose and it kills somebody, and it's the first time it happens, I'm not going to hold that owner liable. He had no idea that was going to take place, and God is fair. He's not looking to punish people unnecessarily. So he says, the ox has to die, but that person is not liable. But if that ox has been known to get out and to hurt and to harm and to be aggressive, and that owner is negligent and says, ah, it'll be okay, and that ox gets out and kills somebody, This is that owner's gonna pay for it with his life because he is not protecting those who bear my image, and I hold him responsible. If God is anything, he is tremendously fair in how he dishes out his consequences. Now now these are, these are pretty easy for you to grasp in this first part and this last part of the passage we're gonna look at, but it's kinda of like bread, and there's meat and cheese in the middle that gets super confusing, it's going to be all over the place. So it's going to continue to move on with those who get the death penalty and those who don't. But we're going to read verses 15 all the way to 27 and see all the different nuances of this. And it's going to seem very disjointed, but I'm going to try to bring it all together really quickly. Here's what it says. Verse 15. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear, only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm... The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Okay, I, I told you already, feels like it's all over the place. And you're trying to figure out what does this all have to do with each other? How how is it all connected? Why this order? Well, There's a very simple reason why. In these set of rules that God has just given us, he's trying to show how he is categorically different than all the other gods. And Israel is supposed to be categorically different than all the other societies that surrounded them in the ancient world. Here's what you got to know about the ancient world. And, And always, when you're interpreting the Bible, this is one of the most important keys to proper interpretation. Always read the Bible in its historical context. What was the history to which the Bible is talking? So, this is the ancient Near East, and there was a history, and that history was one in which the gods favored the strong. People believed that if you were rich, if you were powerful, if you were strong, then you were blessed by the gods, and if you were poor, and if you were weak, and you were vulnerable, then you were cursed by the gods, and it was your fault. And so, they believed that the gods had favorites. Just look at a person's life, and you'll see if these guys favored them or not. But God was saying, I am categorically different than that. I have no partiality. And he does it in five categories. He says, though the rest of the societies around me may not care for these people, I care about the elderly. I care about the young. I care about the wounded. I care about the working poor. And I care about the unborn. These are five categories that, that we went through really quickly in these particular verses. And you're going, I didn't see them, Jason. Where are they at? Well, let me, let me go through them and explain what's taking place. Verses 15 and 17 are some of the most confusing verses for me because it says if you strike your, your mom and dad, boom, death penalty. Even worse, if you curse your mom and dad, bam, death penalty. Like if you say something mean against them, you die. If that were true, this whole midsection of teenagers would be wiped out immediately, <laughs> just gone. I know my house would only have those under teenagers. We would not have any teenagers left. It can't possibly be saying that. So, so what does it mean? Well, here's what's interesting. I so was studying the passage, just see explosions of truth as you come through them. First one, verse 15, when it says, if a, if a man strikes his father and mother, he shall be put to death, that word strike is the Hebrew word nakah, which means to smite. It means to strike with the intent to kill. This is not talking about a little five-year-old that like slaps mom and dad or something like that. This is talking about an adult child, an adult child, Son or daughter who is overpowering their elderly mom and dad, usually because the son wanted the inheritance early or wanted the business out of his father's hand, and so he would strike to kill his own father so he could take over. This is why it gets the death penalty. So, whether they're successful, that they already we covered that if you kill somebody, you forfeit your own life, or even if he's not successful, but you're trying to take advantage of your elderly father or mother, you shall be put to death because the heart behind it is so evil. By the way, the cursing one falls in the same category. It just doesn't seem like it because you don't understand it. When it says curse, it doesn't mean talk bad about your parents. It it means to neglect to care for your elderly parents. It means that when you, in in the ancient world, the only way that you would be taken, you couldn't go into a nursing home or something like that if you were elderly, you were fully dependent upon your oldest son to care for you. And if your oldest son decided not to care for you, that would be to curse you and you would die. You would be left to starve. And that's what is cursing. And you go, how do you know that, Jason? Well, I know it for two reasons. Number one, it was what all the rabbis taught this meant. That was the common teaching of it. But most importantly, the great rabbi, Jesus, taught this. If you were to go to Matthew 15, you can go there later, you'll hear a story where Jesus is coming against the Pharisees and he's saying that you're breaking the law of God because of your own traditions. And he actually quotes verse 17. He uses reviles instead of curses, but he's saying what you should have given to your parents, you give to God because of your tradition and you actually break the law of God. What he means is you're not caring for your elderly parents, and they're dying because you think you're so religious. And so what it's talking about here is that they're not caring for their elderly parents. They're leaving them to die, and therefore they get the death penalty. Why? Because God cares for the vulnerable elderly, and he doesn't want the younger children to take advantage of them. But it's not just the the younger not hurting the older. It's also the older not hurting the younger. That's what verse 16 was about, sandwiched in between it. When it says that if you kidnap somebody or you you own somebody who's been kidnapped, that you get the death penalty, this is talking about human trafficking. Well, who's the most vulnerable to being trafficked? It's children. It's the innocent young ones who cannot defend themselves. And God is saying, I will not let any powerful strong man take advantage of these little children. This is the same thing Jesus taught, by the way. They're trying to stop the little kids from coming to him. what does he say? No, no, let them come to me. For It's to them belongs the kingdom of God. Society wants to diminish the role of children, and God says, no, I want to protect them. Don't don't you let anybody take advantage of these little children. He protects the elderly and the young. He protects the wounded. That's that's when you move on to verses 18 19 as it it goes on. It it talks about the strong man who gets in a fight with somebody else and just totally beats the the dude up, and he leaves him there, and he says if he survives, you don't get the death penalty, but you got to do two things. you got to pay him workman's comp, said, so you got you to pay for all the work that he misses, and then you got to pay his medical bills. you got to make sure he comes back to the place of healing. Now, this is incredible in the ancient world because, like I said before, every single ancient culture, it favored the strong man. If you were mighty and you beat up somebody else, it meant you were favored by the gods and they had fallen out of the favor of God and you were let off scot-free. You didn't have to do anything because you were obviously favored by the gods. And Yahweh says, not in my world. You strong man, I'm going to make you pay for the medical bills of the weak man. Why? Because I show no partiality to anybody. I'm going to make sure the wounded and the weak and the vulnerable are cared for. That's actually what it's getting at as it moves on, verses 20 and 21, and then later on when it talks about the slave. If you were here last week, I mentioned this is actually the working poor. This is the indentured servant who, because of some kind of overwhelming debt or grinding poverty had to sell himself for six years so he could recover and be set free in the seventh year he's just a working poor and in the ancient world these working poor they were so abused and oppressed they had no rights in every single culture except the israelite culture If, if a master killed a slave he had to pay no penalty the only penalty was he lost some of his workforce that was it He could knock out a tooth, he could cut off an arm, nothing would happen to him because that slave was his property. And God says, That will not be the way it is with me and my people because this person bears my very image. That's why in verse 20 it says, If a master beats his slave to the point that he dies, he will be avenged. In other words, that master is going to lose his life because he took a life, life for life. He has that much value. And we covered this last week when it says if, if a master knocks out a tooth or go, gouges out an eye, you're going to set that servant free. Debt completely canceled. Doesn't matter how much debt he owes because you cannot take advantage of this, this particular person. Uh, he protects the working poor. When in society, even today, they're so cast aside. God says it will not be that way for me. I show no partiality to the rich over the working poor. They'll be cared for. This is the last, though. The most intriguing of all to me was the category of the unborn. That, that remarkable verse, verse 22, when it says the two men that are fighting and then one of them hits a woman who's pregnant and she gives premature birth. And it says that if that child dies then the person who hit her will pay for it, life for life. Now here's what I want you to understand. In the ancient world, that, that unborn child had no value. In fact, they didn't even name children for a number of months just to see if they would survive or not. And they discarded children all over the place. It's really eerily similar to what happens today so often. And God says, not for my people. The moment of conception, that child has the exact same worth as a human being. This is why we as a church fight so hard for the unborn. Because God has said at the moment they're in the womb, life for life, we have to protect them. These are the most vulnerable. These are the weakest. These are the ones that nobody is fighting for. And God says, I'm going to show no partiality for the rich and the powerful and the strong. We're going to take care of the weak and the vulnerable and the needy. In fact, the whole lex talionis, that's the the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, burn for burn, wound for wound, that whole thing. That is all about the fairness of God. Every other ancient culture around Israel had their own law codes. One of the most famous is the law code of Hammurabi. And this one had dollar amounts for everything that you would do wrong. So if you knocked out somebody's tooth, it would be like 10 shekels. Let's say, I don't know, I'm making up about 10 shekels of silver to pay for that tooth. If you cut off a hand, that might be 25 shekels. There was some dollar amount you had to pay for what you did wrong. But here's the problem with that. If you're rich, here, you could have 12 shekels. That means nothing. If I've got hundreds and hundreds of shekels in my bank, I'm good. If I'm poor and I have to pay 10 shekels, I'm done. I'm gonna to have to sell myself into slavery, it's over. So all the other law codes in the ancient world favored the rich and the mighty and the strong, but God says, it shall not be for me. I don't care how wealthy you are, if you hurt somebody, you're gonna suffer just as much as you made them suffer. Why? Because God is unbelievably fair. No partiality. And you're going, Jason, I get it, check. I believe You didn't have to do all this stuff, Jason. I believed you when you said it the first time. God's fair. So what? Here's the so what. The whole point of this message comes down to this one thing. The fact that God is fair is beautiful news and terrible news, depending on whether God is fighting for you or against you. If God is fighting for you, praise God. He's fair. He He will fight for the needy. He will fight for the vulnerable. He'll fight for the weak, and you'll see his power. But if God is fighting against you because you're the offender, then it is terrible news that God is fair. And Let me go ahead and give you the really, really bad news. We're all the offenders. We're the villains. Word of God tells us that. We're, we're going to jump over to the New Testament for a moment. I, I'm going I'm to keep your place in, in Exodus 21, but I'm going to jump all the way over to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read in just a moment verses 10 through 12. But There's a verse, many of you know, Romans 3:23. all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But let me just show you how bad all is. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Hundreds and hundreds of people in this room right now So many more watching online, and here's the truth for every single one of us. Every single one of us have sinned and broken the law of God. We have hurt God, we have hurt the people around us, and we are guilty. We are the offenders. Worst news of all, Romans 6.23, the wages of our sin is death. And let me tell you, if God is fair, why this is terrible news. It means he won't let a single one of our sins slide. He won't say, I I know you didn't mean to do that, but you've been trying to be good. You go to church. You know, we'll just just sweep that one under the rug. Now, he's way too fair for that. That time you hurt that person, oh, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. And then you do it again and again and again. God's not going to forget a single one of them. God will not let any mistake go unpunished. That is terrible news for those of us who are sinners in this room, and that's every single one of us. I know this will sound a little hellfire and brimstone, but, but you gotta get here first before I get to the next part. Now, if I were to stop right here, I would be the worst preacher in the history of preachers. Granted, but I'm not gonna stop right there. I'm gonna let this just be the foundation and platform to get us to the best news of all. It's called the good news of the gospel. And it's that God knew that we would all be sinners and we would all be broken. There would not be a single one of us righteous. And God knew that he would be fair and demand justice. And therefore he did something absolutely outlandish. He allowed his own son to come pay what we couldn't pay. And here's the best part about it. God just put these little drops of the gospel in every single passage of scripture in the Bible. Even in the one that we just read, there was this little nugget of the gospel that every single one of us just missed. It was in verse 32 when it was the valuation of a slave. And it said that if an ox kills a slave, then that owner of the ox has got to pay the master of that slave 30 pieces of silver. There was somebody else who was valued at 30 pieces of silver. I don't know if you know who it was, but just in case you don't know, we're going to skip over to the New Testament again, to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. There's a man named Judas Iscariot who's going to come on the stage. Matthew 26, verses 14 through 16. Listen to what it says. It says then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, "What will you give me if I deliver him over to you?" Talking about Jesus, and they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Here you have Jesus, the infinite one, the Son of God, of immeasurable worth, and he comes to the earth, and he's valued at thirty pieces of silver, a slave. You want to know why that matters? It shows us his purpose. King of kings and Lord of lords came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And this serves as a bridge over to Philippians chapter 2 where the apostle Paul tells us that Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a doulos, a slave. And being found in the likeness of men, he made himself obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what did Jesus do on the cross? He paid everything that we needed to pay. He fulfilled Isaiah 53, this whole prediction, 700 years before Jesus came of the suffering servant. And that that scripture says that there's going to come a man one day who's going to be your Messiah, and he's going to be pierced for your transgressions. He's going to be crushed for your iniquities. And by his wounds, you're going to be healed. Well, what did it say back in Exodus 21? Do you remember? The whole thing he said He said it's going to be hand for hand, foot for foot. What happened to Jesus' hands and feet? They were pierced for our transgressions. He says it's going to be wound for wound, stripe for stripe. By his wounds, by his stripes, you and I are healed. Why? Life for life. He went to the cross to pay the fair penalty of Almighty God so that we didn't have to. His life for our life. You want to know why I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Jesus in my place? Because that's the whole message of the gospel. It should have been me on that cross. It should have been me up there getting my hands pierced and my feet pierced. It should have been me striped and wounded. And Jesus said, no, it'll be me. And in that moment, he says, all who would come to me, I'm going to change it where you're no longer the offender. You now become the wounded. If you'll just humble yourself. If you'll just realize what you've done, just confess your sin and say, I know I'm broken. I know I'm needy. I'm the the poor. I'm the humble. I'm the one who can't save myself. If you'll humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need you, and you'll claim him, then he'll no longer fight against you. He'll fight for you. Because he rushes to the aid of the weak and the vulnerable and the needy. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I just believe there are some of you who are here today And you need God to fight for you. He's ready to fight for you. All you got to do is humble yourself and say, I need Jesus. Listen, every single one of you right now, you are on one of two categories. There's no in between. You're either the offender that God is fighting against or you're the wounded weak that God is fighting for. And there's only one way to make yourself the wounded weak that God fights for. You say, forgive me for my sins, God. I broke your law. I broke your ways. I'm the one who needs healing, and I can't save myself. I know I should be on that cross, but Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you did all this. You paid my wounds, my stripes. Your hands and feet were pierced. Your life was given for mine, and I receive it in the name of Jesus, and I let you take over my life. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you're going, I'm ready, It doesn't matter how often you come to church. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if you say you've been a Christian your whole life. None of that matters if you have never stopped and claimed Jesus Christ as your own. Your life, given over for his life. That exchange has to take place. Scripture doesn't leave us wondering how. It says, look, there's a baptistry over here that says Jesus in my place. If I just be willing to come, willing to say I need to die and be buried with Jesus Christ so that I can be resurrected with Jesus Christ. This is me saying his life for my life. I want that exchange to happen. And the moment you follow in faith, God says to you, now I'm gonna fight for you. If you're here today and you want God to fight for you, you gotta raise your white flag and say, I give up. Jesus, take me. In a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come forward and you're gonna have a chance to come and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to give up my fight. I'm ready for Jesus Christ to save me. I, I wanna take his life as my own and let him take charge. I want him to die in my place so I can rise with him in his place. Here's what's gonna happen. We're gonna, we're gonna make sure you can go talk to a counselor that, to, to always ensure that you fully understand the gospel. We don't wanna baptize anybody who doesn't fully understand the gospel. And if you're ready, we have a t-shirt just like this that we're gonna give you that you can change into. We got shorts you can put on. And before you leave here this morning, you could go into that that water and say, Jesus, I belong to you. Salvation can come today. You just got to be willing. Listen, I'm going to say one more thing before I give you an opportunity. There are many of you in this room and over the last year and a half, 10 years, whatever, you you have declared your faith in Jesus Christ. You've already been baptized. But here's what I want to remind you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then your God fights for you. The battles are his to fight, not yours. But you have to humble yourself and bring the battle to him. We forget how strong he is, how able he is. And we got to come and say, no, God opposes the proud. I can't fight this fight on my own. He gives grace to the humble. And you're going to come find somebody down here who can pray for you. And you can put that battle back in the hands of the Lord and say, God, I know you're able. I want you to fight for me. That's what prayer is. It's a position of humility. Say, fight this for me. So I want you all to stand up right now, if you will. I'm going to invite prayer team members, staff to be around here. If you need somebody to pray for you, if you're willing to humble yourself and take your knee to the Lord, let us pray for you. Or if you're saying, today's the day. I need Jesus in my place. I need to stop trying to fight my own battle. I need to trust that Christ alone can save me. I want to give myself to him because I want God to fight for me. I can't do this. If you're ready to come in humility, you can discover salvation. You come as you need to respond to him.